0: If you have your Bible, uh, turn with me to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. I long for the day when Christ returns. Hurt, heartache, and brokenness are no more. Perfection, complete and perfect righteousness, and the perfect presence of Christ with us for eternity in the new heaven and new earth. We live in a world that lacks peace for whatever reason. We live in a world that has been subject to decay because of sin, hardship, sickness, hurt, death, things that all of us are very, very familiar with, none of which are things that we desire, none of which are things that we welcome, but things that find us nonetheless. We're reminded each and every day of the brokenness of this world, whether it's in our own lives, whether it's in our bodies, whether it's in our own struggle with sin, whether it's by turning on the news and seeing brokenness in others, whether it's just walking through life with hurt individuals. One of the things that we know well as a faith family is that we walk alongside of others in the midst of their brokenness in the midst of their hurt, in the midst of their turmoil. And one of the things we know well is that, is that that affects all of us. We mourn with those who mourn. We weep with those who weep. We rejoice with those who rejoice. All of those things, that's the plight of, of man, especially those as Christians. And so this morning, there are those among our church family that are hurting. There are those in our own community that have experienced hardship and It's easy to find yourself in seasons of difficulty, and everyone in this room has something in their life where they're lacking peace, an area, an area where they're hurting, an area where there's turmoil, an area where there is a very present reminder of the brokenness of this world. And we feel that, and we internalize that, and we carry that, and we are affected greatly by that. And we think about this season of Advent, this season where we magnify the Lord and celebrate the first coming of Christ as we long For the second coming of Christ and as we deal with these things that we walk through or as we walk through various situations with others and their brokenness and hurt and their hardships, we realize that there is a longing within us, a deep longing for peace, for comfort, for satisfaction. We know Jesus is the Prince of Peace and yet we lay awake at night at times feeling very without it, without peace whether it is a situation, whether it is fear, anxiety, a bill that cannot be paid, or Christmas gifts that cannot be bought, whatever the case may be. And so we're all affected by the brokenness of this world, and we're all longing for this this peace that we seek or seek to find in a variety of of different places. And as Christians, we're all aware of that very struggle to confess Christ as the Prince of Peace and yet still find ourselves maybe here this morning lacking peace or hurting or whatever the case may be. And you can fill in the gap of where you try to find peace. And none of those things in this life will bring you lasting peace. None of those things in this life will ease your brokenness, will ease your hurt. They may temporarily set aside those things, but at the end of the day, you still lay awake at night longing. I've been aware this morning, sometimes you have those mornings, right? To where there's just seems like one thing after another this weekend, this past week, various things that come up and just vivid reminders of hurt, vivid reminders of brokenness, vivid reminders that Death happens, that heartache happens, these various things. But in the midst of the brokenness, in the midst of the lack of peace, Christ shines. Christ prevails. In the midst of utter desperation and the bottom of the barrel, if you will, Christ will will be done. And his perfect peace will break through even some of the harshest and most difficult situations. We look at John 14 this morning. We enter this space of the upper room, a space that is filled with great significance. The disciples who are troubled and anxious at Jesus' words about what is about to happen to him... In his betrayal and in his death, stand on the precipice of this, of a, a a seismic shift in the course of human history. In this, we are peering into the very heart of God's redemptive plan, and not only His promise to the disciples in that are gathered in this room, but His promise to all of those who call upon His name. The tension, this tension in the upper room mirrors the tension of the world that is awaiting the culmination of God's promises. In the face of impending trials, Jesus unveils the keys to enduring peace, and that is the promise of the Holy Spirit and the peace that surpasses all understanding. Now, why does this matter to us today? In a world ensnared in chaos and uncertainty, the promise of peace, the peace that Jesus offers is not a mere historical footnote for us to just add to our life story. It is a lifeline that is extended to us, an invitation to partake in the transformative power of Christ's presence through His Holy Spirit. You see, again, it's easy for us to say Jesus is the Prince of Peace. It's easy for us to look at Isaiah 9, 6 that says He is uh, the Prince of Peace and to affirm this prophecy of Isaiah. But what about when we're going through life's trials? What about when we do not feel this peace? Is He still the Prince of Peace? Does He still give peace? What about the late nights, the early mornings? The tears, the anxiety, the fear, the heartache, the bills, the emergencies. What about in those moments when things seem to be collapsing around us and our lives are seemingly characterized more by chaos and less by peace? What about then? Is He still the Prince of Peace? Does He quit being the Prince of Peace? Or does He stop giving us or bringing us peace even in the midst of chaos and uncertainty? As we'll see, whereas the Incarnation was God with us, so now the Holy Spirit is God in us if we have repented and believed And I understand this is an Advent sermon about the coming of Christ, and it's about Jesus leaving in John 14, but nonetheless, we have this message of peace promised to us. So this morning I pray that we recognize that the Prince of Peace, please hear this, the Prince of Peace stands ready to minister to our troubled hearts today, just like he did to the disciples in the upper room. The Prince of Peace stands ready to minister to your troubled heart today and bring peace. May our lives be forever changed by the peace that only Christ can provide through His incarnation, death, burial, and resurrection, followed by the sending of His Spirit as the presence of God with us and in us. So if you're able, would you stand as we read John chapter 14, verses 25 through 27. neither let them be afraid. Pray with me. Father, you are sufficient for all of our needs. This morning, you know our needs. This morning, we confess that we trust in your ability and your willingness to meet those needs. And I pray that you would do that as you see fit, as your word is proclaimed. We pray in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. So as already mentioned, the context for Jesus' teaching in these verses in the upper room, as Jesus is on the brink of his crucifixion and fully aware of the turbulent storm that would soon engulf his followers. And so surely in this room, as Christ is here and he's teaching and he's sharing with his disciples, the air is thick with tension. And the disciples most certainly are still grappling with the implications of Christ, their master's imminent departure, and surely they are troubled in spirit as Jesus is saying these things to them. And so the disciples were not immune from fear. We know that very well. They were not immune from doubt, and they were not immune from uncertainty. In fact, Jesus just told Peter just a few verses earlier that Peter would deny Christ three times, which was provoked by the fear of man. And so the shadow of the cross loomed large. And Jesus, in in His infinite compassion, sought to prepare His disciples for the trials that lay ahead of them. He knew that their understanding of who He was needed to deepen. He knew that their faith needed to be anchored in something beyond His physical presence as He would physically leave them. It is important to note as well as we move into this and consider Jesus as the Prince of Peace that he does not shy away from acknowledging the reality of suffering. Jesus is very aware of the hardship and the suffering that come along with this life. He does not look at his disciples and go, your life is about to be free from suffering, do not worry one bit. No, he doesn't do that at all. He doesn't offer his disciples trite solutions or empty promises of a pain-free life. Instead, he provides them a truth that anchors the soul amid life's storms. And it is in this very context that Jesus unveils the promise of the Holy Spirit and the enduring peace that only he can provide. And so this being said, my first observation I want to make from this passage is this, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the agent of peace. The gift of the Holy Spirit, the agent of peace. I don't have slides this morning. I apologize. As I mentioned, it's been one of those mornings, but I trust that you have two ears or at least one good ear that might be able to hear. So uh, the agent, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the agent of peace. So regarding peace, I want to be clear from the outset, the type of peace that Jesus speaks of in this passage, the peace that he brought with him in his first advent. You see, when we think of peace, it's easy for us to kind of get out of order or sidetracked on what peace actually is based on what we want peace to be. You know, we think of peace, we may think of a time free from unrest, a time free from turmoil or heartache. We think of peace and we go a time where everything is smooth and everything's just going the way we want it to go and and life is just... Peachy. But the type of peace that we're considering today that Jesus is teaching about, that the Holy Spirit will bring, is what is known as Shalom. Shalom is a precious word to the Jewish people. It carries with it rich connotations that we may look past in our own English language. Shalom is, means much more than merely the absence of war or the absence of distress. It means much more than just the absence of heartache. Shalom means wholeness. It means completeness. It means health, security, positive blessing, especially, particularly in one's relationship to God. And so this is the peace spoken of in the blessing given by Moses to Aaron in Numbers 6, 24, and 26. This is the peace found in numerous Old Testament prophetic writings that look forward to a time of peace inaugurated by the coming Messiah. The Prince of Peace in Isaiah 9, 6 would command peace, command shalom to the nation, Zechariah nine ten tells us. And so with this command... There would be peace and salvation through the Messiah, the Prince of Peace. God would make an everlasting covenant of peace with His people. And Jesus' statement in this passage reflects this type of peace, this type of shalom. So in this text, Jesus is departing and leaving his followers with the customary Jewish farewell. If you've ever been to a Jewish synagogue, this is how they depart. It's how they greet people and depart. If you go on a Sabbath or you go any, any other time where they would gather for a special meeting, they would say Shalom or Shabbat Shalom, Sabbath peace, something of that nature. And only this time, Jesus has the authority to bestow upon his followers a permanent blessing of a right relationship with God. And so this is the peace that Jesus also gives to us. And this is the peace that you and I long for. Our longing for peace, our longing for shalom, our longing for satisfaction in this life is a longing for this very thing. All of humanity is longing for this, whether or not they find it in Christ or not. They long for this peace. We long for shalom, and the only place in which true shalom is found is in Jesus Christ, the Prince of Shalom, that comes to us through the Holy Spirit. You see, according to John 16, a couple chapters ahead, Jesus' bodily departure and sending of the Spirit is to the disciples' advantage. He said, it's better that I leave so that you can have the Spirit. That is, Jesus is saying that if they knew what was being offered to them through the Holy Spirit, they would be more than happy that Jesus was returning to the Father at His ascension. Why would Jesus say this? Why would He say, I'm sending the Spirit, and it's better that I leave, it's better that I die, it's better that I'm resurrected, it's better that I return to the Father, because then you're going to be here alone, all by yourself, without me. Why would he say something like that? Well, Jesus says it's better for the Holy Spirit to be in us rather than Jesus physically with us. Well, how can this be? Again, Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. We know that. And the Holy Spirit is God in us. And so the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, comes and fills the role of Jesus after Jesus' departure from the earth in being the presence of God in us. We need not forget that Jesus took on flesh. He possessed a body. He was fully man. And as humans, how many places can the flesh occupy? One. You're here. You're not at home, right? You're not here and at home. You're here. We are spatially confined. Now, the resurrected Christ, where is he now? He is currently seated at the right hand of the Father. Scripture is very clear about that. Therefore, God with us, Emmanuel, is seated in heaven awaiting the time of his second coming. However, through the Holy Spirit, God is in us as the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, dwells within us. And so Christ, the presence of Christ, although he is physically in his resurrected body, awaiting the second return in the heavenly places, now through the Spirit, for those who have repented of their sin and trusted in Christ as Lord, the presence of Christ is in us through the Holy Spirit. And so through the Spirit, although Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, Christ is also in us through His Spirit. We need not downplay this promise given to us by Christ. This promise of the Helper coming to us comes from a heart of love and a concern for our good, a promise of everlasting peace. We may not have Christ physically in front of us to touch and to talk to and to converse with. And many of us in our prayers of desperation have been, God, if I could only see you, if if you were just right here, if Jesus were just right here with me in the flesh, things would be so much better. But we have the Spirit of Christ living inside of us that goes everywhere with us. And with all of our brothers and sisters across the entire globe, enabling us to commune with Christ, to pray, to be strengthened, and to have peace. The Holy Spirit is not a distant force or a mere influence. He is a divine person, the very Spirit of God coming alongside of us in our journey. The Spirit of God, if you're a believer, is with you always. Everywhere you go. He does not leave you In the darkest hour, as you lay there at night pondering various things and and, and uneasy and anxious and fearful, or in the midst of death, in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of hardship, the presence of God is with you through Christ, the indwelling Spirit. He doesn't leave if you're His. Jesus knew that the disciples would need more than His physical presence. They needed the ongoing, intimate guidance of the Spirit. And it is crucial, church. It is crucial to grasp the significance of the Holy Spirit's role in the life of the everyday believer. He is not an optional add-on. He is a divine necessity. The Spirit is not a vague force, but a personal presence. The very breath of God bringing life, breathing life into the core of our being. And Jesus says the Holy Spirit is coming to do a couple things. First, the Holy Spirit will teach all things and to bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. I have a terrible memory. I need the Spirit's help. All right, some of you as well. Jesus unveils the illuminating work of the Spirit in revealing the truth of God's Word. The Spirit is not merely a teacher, but the revealer of divine mysteries, peeling back the layers of Scripture and making known the deep deep truths hidden within. If you have confessed and if you believe that the Word of God is the living, breathing Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing bone and marrow, if you believe that, meaning if you live by that, that's the Spirit's work within you. If you've confessed Christ as Lord based upon the revelation of God in His Word, that is the Spirit's work bringing to life and bringing to remembrance the things of God. Peeling back these layers of Scripture, making known the deep truths hidden within. But what has Jesus said? If He's peeling back these layers, if He's bringing to remembrance all that I have that Jesus has said, what has Jesus said? Well, He certainly said a lot of things. But if we consider this chapter alone, John chapter 14, Jesus has said some profound things. First, He says that He is God. Profound. Jesus and the Father are one. If you've seen Christ, you've seen the Father. When I speak, it is the Father speaking through me. The Father dwells in me and works through me. All of this, Jesus is saying, confirming His deity in the unity of the Godhead in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Profound. Ultimately, what would lead Him to His death. But not only that, Jesus says that anything you ask the Father in My name, I will give to you well, what authority is this? It's the authority of God, the Almighty, the Creator, omnipotent. When the world is falling apart around us, when our world seems to be falling apart, the Holy Spirit within us brings to mind these truths. Who Christ is. Who He is. I have found it true in my own life that at times that I am struggling with joy, assurance even, or proper motivations or pride, lust of the flesh, whatever it is, it's not usually thinking about some secondary theological issue that gets me up and going. It's not thinking about the nature mode of baptism. It's not thinking about soteriology or these various... Other things, but it's the foundational truths like God's presence with me through His Spirit that spurs me on. The Spirit of God will bring to mind these things. You don't need man's wisdom in the midst of turmoil, you don't need seven steps to solve this or solve that. You need the Spirit of God bringing to mind the truths of Scripture. It is the truth that God alone saves and that God gives us His presence to dwell within us to guide us through the turbulent times in this life that spur you on. The truths of the gospel, the truths of a new heaven and a new earth, the truths of the temporality of this life The truth that God will preserve us through this life, even when we're at the bottom of the barrel. All of these things are what the Holy Spirit brings to our minds that comfort us in the tumult of life. The Holy Spirit is the way in which God's presence becomes personal to us. The Holy Spirit takes God with us and makes it God in us. The Holy Spirit applies the work of Christ to us regenerating our hearts and making us alive to Christ. In the incarnation, Jesus came to die. He came to offer Himself as an atonement for the sins of all who would repent and believe upon Him. The Prince of Peace came to give peace by reconciling sinners to God. The Spirit within us comforts us, strengthens us, and works in us and through us for the glory of God, making these truths known to us. Our dependence on the Holy Spirit is paramount. In our pursuit of holiness and understanding, we cannot rely solely on human strength. The Spirit empowers us, leading us into a life that reflects the glory of Christ. And as we submit to His guidance, we experience transformation. Our minds are renewed, our hearts are softened, and our lives are conformed to the image of Christ. Second observation, the peace of Christ the peace of Christ. It says in 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus gives peace, shalom, to his people through the Holy Spirit, the peace of Christ. Christ's peace is not a fragile veneer that shatters at the first gust of adversity. Now it is a robust peace that endures regardless of the storms that rage around us. You see, the world bases its peace on resources. If I have more money, if I have more stuff, if I have good health, if I have food on the table, if Santa brings me everything I ask for, on my Christmas list, then I'll have peace. But what the world offers is peace through the lens of momentary pleasure, fleeting accomplishments, and temporal prosperity. When the struggles and hardships of life settle in, none of these things the world has to offer can bring about lasting peace. For us, our peace depends on a relationship. Our peace depends on being right with God. And to be right with God means to enjoy the peace of God. To the world, peace is something you hope for. Something you work for even. But to the Christian, peace is God's gift to us, received by faith through the Holy Spirit. The peace of Christ is a divine gift imparted to us, church, in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our desperation. It is a peace that echoes the profound reality of redemption, a peace that arises from being reconciled to God through the sacrificial work of Christ on the cross. And to understand the peace of Christ, we must recognize its distinctiveness, It's not a mere absence of conflict or a temporary reprieve from life's challenges. No, Christ's peace is a deep wellspring, a reservoir that flows from the very heart of God. It's a peace that remains unshaken in the face of tribulations, the face of trials, and the face of uncertainties. This peace is not subject to the whims of this world. It doesn't hinge on favorable circumstances. It doesn't hinge on worldly success or the approval of others. It is a peace anchored in the unchanging character of Christ. The world's peace is is fickle. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow. But Christ's peace is an unwavering constant. A rock upon which we stand when the ground beneath us quakes not based on the externals. It's based on the eternals. The peace of the world is temporary and it's tentative, but the peace of Christ that Christ gives to his people is far more valuable than the richest earthly inheritance. There are plenty of troubles in this world. Even as we sit here this morning, we're all familiar with that. But as the Spirit of God within us guides us into truth, John fourteen seven tells us that our hearts will stand firm and not troubled. Why? Well, what is this truth? For the Christian, the truth is that God is and will fulfill all of His promises. He will not leave us. He is working all things together for our good and His glory. Nothing can separate us from His love. His love for us doesn't change, but remains constant. It doesn't fluctuate. The truth is that we have the Spirit of God within us that works within us, that comforts us, that strengthens us, that intercedes for us before the Father when we do not know what to pray and that helps us. This is why we can have peace in the midst of this fallen creation the various trials we face. The Prince of Peace came to give us peace and He has given us that peace through the giving of the Holy Spirit to whom all the Father has given Him. I wonder if you have a troubled soul this morning. Are the holidays especially difficult for you or maybe this holiday in particular? have one of our church families lost a loved one this morning. It's going to be a different holiday this year. There are a number of reasons why we might be in this place trouble. but you're in the right place. Church, I want to remind you, let not your hearts be troubled. In this moment, before Jesus is about to go to the cross, he has our hearts in view. Peace I give to you, Jesus says. Let not your hearts be troubled. He desires for your heart to sail upon untroubled waters. He desires for you to be at peace free from fear and anxiety no matter the circumstances that surround you. And at Christmas, the Prince of Peace broke into history to give you peace through the indwelling Holy Spirit. And no matter what's happening in your life, no matter the storms that you're facing, no matter the turbulent waters around you, this peace, again, is not based on good circumstances. It's not, God, just make my circumstances better. No, it's give me peace in the midst of the bad. Give me peace in the midst of the hardships. Give me peace in the midst of despair. This is God's peace. Take hold of God's peace this Christmas. Jesus was born to die. He was born to offer himself as a sacrifice for your sins in your place. And in doing so, the plan was to give peace to his people through the Holy Spirit. This is perfect peace. Church, receive it by faith. Don't rely on the things of this world for your peace. And don't think having those things is going to change. And don't teach your kids that either. It's easy to get caught up in the hustle and bustle of this season. and to I went to town yesterday for most of the day. It's not a peaceful place they even said, I thought this was supposed to be the happiest time of the year. People are longing for this peace. Amen. It's not found in buying the presents. It's not found in shopping. Those things are great and fun. We did a lot of that yesterday with everybody else. It's found in the Prince of Peace. And we have an opportunity to share that with others. Got to share it this morning with a lady who's repented and believed in Christ we have an opportunity. Look for those opportunities. Who can you serve this holiday season? Who can you impart peace to? Who can you shoulder burdens with? Maybe it'll cost you giving up a present here or there to do it. But who can you come alongside of and tell about the Prince of Peace? Who is there in the midst of your struggles? Who is there those sleepless nights? who will never leave you nor forsake you. Peace I give to you, Jesus says. Not as the world do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Pray with me.